Good day from Wall Street. This is Jack Marks for Wall Street Reporter. Today I'm speaking with Anthony Miluski. He is the chairman and CEO of Cobalt 27 Capital Corp. Stock symbol is uh, KBLT on the uh, TSX Venture and CBLLF over the counter. Anthony, welcome. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me on the show today. Absolutely. Anthony, before we get into the business model and some of your, your recent uh, acquisition announcements, um, can you tell us you know, why you chose to focus the company on Cobalt? You know, what's the investment thesis uh, for Cobalt? And you know, yeah, what's, what's, why no, is there so much no, interest no in the market? Uh, yeah, gladly. Glad you walked walk you through it. So I think even before that, you have to step back a little bit. And, and we're sitting at the the cusp of fundamental change in two of the most important industries in the world. And the first one is the automobile industry. And the second one is the energy industry. And, you know, in the automobile industry, we're seeing this tremendous shift away from gas and cars to, you know, autonomous vehicles, self-driving vehicles uh, that are powered by batteries. And, and, and that's happening. And it's, um, you know, it's something that a few years ago was probably hard to imagine and you know today we're looking at adoption rates you know in in some cases you know in California 10% of all new car sales were electric vehicles a month ago when they were rolling out the uh, model 3 of tesla and in canada you had something similar with 8% so you, these tremendous adoption rates for the electric vehicle and then i think the next step after that of course is autonomous driving which is being tested in arizona and other places I think the second part of the story, of course, is just a complete transformation of the energy industry. You know, 50% of crude goes into automobiles. People don't really realize that. And that number goes as high as 75% when you include transportation more broadly. So we're talking about a structural change in two really important industries. And, you know, as a professional investor, I was sitting in a fund at the time thinking about how to play those structural changes uh, you know, being a guy with a, a hammer, I was looking for nails. I, I was a, you know, a metals investor. And I realized that, that I actually don't know at the end of the day, if it's Tesla, that's going to win, or if it's Volkswagen, or if it's a Panasonic, that is the way to play. Uh, but what I could see definitively was that, uh, so long as I believe that there was going to be a winner, the basic materials that comprised of the battery that's powering the electric vehicle were going to be winners, namely cobalt, nickel, and lithium. And so that was kind of, you know, the early days thinking about putting this together and how to play this revolution that's that's happening in its most basic and simple form without having to really, you know, break down battery companies and think about automobile companies and technology companies, you know, sensors. I really wanted to distill it down into the basic materials and, and offer that up and create a vehicle that really offered up that as an option. So so basically you wanted to create a, a pure play on the electric vehicle demand. That's that's the, the idea. Yeah, initially on the electric vehicle demand, but remember, there's two parts to the story. There's the adoption of electric vehicles, which you know I think you could read about just about daily in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, I mean, everything that's happening. But there's a second step to the story, which the media has entirely not picked up on yet, which is uh, you know large-scale battery storage that will completely uh, change the economics, in my view, of renewable energy. You know, in the sense that with with these battery farms that you know Tesla right now is taking the lead on, but but I think ultimately there'll be a lot of competition there, um, where you know you can store 
for instance, solar during the day and, and use it at night, or you can stabilize the grid. So uh, initially, this, of course, will be the electric vehicle story, but I think over the next decade, the story expands beyond electric vehicles into completely kind of transforming uh, renewable energy and, and our uses of it. Uh, okay. Oh, so the, the energy storage for for these, uh, you know, the wind farm, solar, all that, that's what you that's what you meant. Then, yeah? It, it, there's the first component, which is the lithium-ion battery, which is a kind of a nickel-manganese-cobalt formulation today. So that's the electric vehicle. But that same battery, if you, if you if you think about Tesla's power wall, I don't know if you followed this, but you you can go get a roof put on your house now that's made of solar panels and and you know drop your um, your uh, energy consumption to a point where you're actually in some places putting energy into the grid and getting paid for it. So. Uh, that's the same battery today. Um, you know, there's a slightly different configuration from the battery that goes into the car, but it's still a lithium-ion battery. And so I think there are two uses. There's the electric vehicle revolution, which is underway, and then there's the longer-term uh, adoption of these energy storage systems that will allow renewable energy to be more economic and, and also access more easily in, in um, infrastructure-impaired places in Africa and other, and other countries. Okay, and okay, so and basically, cobalt is used in in all these batteries. Is is the bottom line? That's right. So when you look at the automobile, the the lithium lithium ion battery is, is the battery du jour, right? It's you know if you think back um, to other technologies, you know I like to think about VHS versus Betamax. Actually, Betamax, by the way, that kind of dates. Betamax was probably a better technology. But VHS, for a variety of reasons, ultimately won the distribution uh, war and became, for its time, the technology of choice. In the same way, there are a variety of technologies out there, but overwhelmingly, um, the lithium-ion battery, and in particular, the nickel-manganese-cobalt NMC formulation of that battery uh, has been widely adopted and is planned now for the next decade into these cars. And, you know, that chemistry within the lithium-ion battery is nickel, manganese, cobalt, NMC. Uh, everyone, save it for Tesla, uses it. And, you know, the key components there are really nickel and uh, cobalt. And, you know, you really need that cobalt in there to stabilize the battery and to, to add that charge and to really make the, the car work and run like you expect a car to work. Okay, so let's get into your business model. Like, what, um, uh, what's, what's, how do you know? So, so people are clear. Like, what exactly you're doing? It's a you know pure play opportunity of uh, you have a royalty model versus you know the, you know people might be thinking of traditional you know mining companies. How, how does how does your model work? So we're not a mining company at all. You know, we're something more like a Franco Nevada or Silver Wheaton. Uh, which is a royalties and streaming company. Cobalt is a byproduct of nickel mining globally, except for the Congo, where it's a byproduct of, <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, copper. And so what we do is, and we either buy a royalty over the project and say, you know, here's X number of dollars, and we get a 1%, I'm just making up the number, we get a 1% royalty over all your nickel and cobalt for the life of the mine. Or another another way of doing it is you know you give them an upfront payment and then you get uh, nickel and cobalt uh, uh, for a, a structured period of time. 
And the reason, as I said earlier, is because cobalt is a byproduct of, of other um, primary products. And so it's not usually the driver of economics. And so what we do is effectively create financially settled contracts um, with the miners to give the investor exposure directly to the cobalt. And, you know, this, this is common in oil and gas. I mean, they, I think for the investors who are more familiar with the oil and gas sector, you, know, you see that in, with royalties. It's something, if you're trying to find a, you know, a frame of reference, I think that's one way to think about it. Or in the process, think about a Franco Nevada or a weed and precious. Okay. So basically, uh, so essentially cobalt 27 is going to get a, a percentage of, you know, all cobalt sales coming out of these mines. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to think about it. Okay. Uh, obviously each one of these transactions has some nuance, but it's a way of isolating the exposure to, to cobalt. And also we have nickel exposure, which are the key, key uh, ingredients in these batteries chemistry. And so, you know, when an investor is thinking about how they want to play it, like, you know, maybe they should own an NVIDIA, which is a, you know, a sensor maker, or maybe they should own um, a Tesla. Like I mean, that's of course for the investors to decide, but, but certainly if you've made the decision to own um, some aspect of the electric vehicle value chain, because you believe people are going to buy these cars, then what you know for sure is that Cobalt's going to be a winner because it's in every single one of these cars and every single one of the batteries. Okay. And you also have physical holdings of, of Cobalt right now, right? That's right. We have around 2,900 metric tons of Cobalt, and it's one of the largest single stockpiles of cobalt in the world outside of the Chinese government. And it, it helps form the basis for our balance sheet. You know, we use it for leverage. Um, and it also gives the investor uh, access to investing in cobalt. You know, cobalt is not an exchange traded product in the same way that copper is. There is an LME warrant, but it's completely illiquid and it actually doesn't even trade in line with where the actual market is. Uh, Metals bulletin is, is the way that cobalt is priced, not the LME warrant. And so it's a, a unique metal in that unlike, say, copper or gold, it's very simple to trade uh, for a professional investor, or even, frankly, it's really easy to trade for anyone. There's plenty of uh, access products out there. Whereas for cobalt, we're sort of the only access product. Huh. So, so there, there's no futures on cobalt? There's no, there's no other trading except uh, essentially your stock gives them that pure well, play? Technically, t- t- yeah, no, technically there is an LME warrant, but, you know, it, it simply doesn't trade. And when it does trade, you know, it's completely disconnected from the actual uh, price of cobalt. Now, I would I would argue that it's a failed contract um, for a variety of reasons. I'm going to touch on it briefly. The, the basic reason is that consumers of cobalt use a particular uh, form. You know, when it comes in a metal, they use a round or an ingot. You know, an ingot would be like a loaf of bread. A round would look like a large silver dollar. And um, they build their entire industrial process around receiving cobalt that's in a certain form. And the LME cobalt is deliverable in, you know, kind of a bunch of different forms. And that's not useful for end users. So you never really have the contract adopted by industry. And, and um, there's more nuance to it, of course. It's probably not a fair shake there. But uh, for a variety of reasons, the contract has been adopted and it's never got liquid and it doesn't reflect the price. And so that kind of allowed us to step into the market and, and create an alternative for people who are looking for that proxy. So what's the, so what's the val- the current market value of your, uh, of your physical cobalt position? 
so the so the the current market value. Um, so I'll give you a mark to market here. Let's let's just do it for you. Um, uh, you know, it's it's probably one hundred and seventy five million dollars U.S. Okay. U.S. Okay, ballpark. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, but give or take, right? Like on any given. Actually, it might be slightly higher. It might be. It's probably between 175 and 200 million dollars US. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so it's pretty close to the market value of the company, almost. Yeah. No. Look, the, the, the stock is trading incredibly cheap right now. So, you know, the physical position almost matched the market cap of the company, and that doesn't attribute any value to the Voices base stream that we paid, you know, 300 million dollars for last year, or any of our other royalties and. Yeah, that's a function, I think, of a broader market sell-off going into last year in the materials space. And, you know, frankly, we had uh, raised a lot of capital in the last 18 months, and some of the people have rotated out of, of the EV thematic or, um, you know, liquidated the position. And so I think the stock was severely oversold kind of at the end of last year. And, and you know, coming back into this year, we've actually seen some buying. Okay, so um, and, and and so the the coal, so the 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 metal is located in in what warehouses in uh, is it is it in London is it in the U.S. where do you where do you have this? Yeah, so a few locations in Europe and the U.S. I think the key point there is that they're LME fully insured, fully bonded warehouses, and so you're not taking you know risk that um, you know I'll give you an example. It's been widely publicized. There was a theft at one of the warehouses where we uh, stored our cobalt, and you know a bunch of different people had metal stolen, and including us. And and uh, we submitted a claim to our insurance company and had it had it paid back. Now that's extremely rare, um, but I think the point is that that uh, the metal is fully secured and insured at the LME bonded warehouses. Okay, and do you do you uh, sell off? Uh... Part, part the position at any point, or do you intend to keep it as, or or grow the the position. What's the? In other words, yeah, do you I mean, trade right it now, uh, at any point? We, we're not we're not growing the position. Obviously, it's an asset of the company, and you know we think that it's a strategic asset that you know through the cycle um, <clears throat> will be will be uh, important to to a battery maker. So, you know, we opportunistically kind of um, rationalize assets in our balance sheet, whether that's the physical position or whether that's streams and royalties. Uh, but we view all of the, the assets of the company as strategic. And so <clears throat> we're constantly kind of um, making sure that the asset balances make sense and, and uh, we don't trade it day to day, but everything is possible. Okay. Sort of like the, the U.S., what is it, the st- strategic oil reserve? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so where where are so the um, the royalty assets? Uh, where where are the where are all the mines based? And maybe you can get into the details of some of the, the key yeah. assets. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, in Canada, we've got you know a royalty over Dumont and Turnigan, you know, two of the largest uh, construction ready slash exploration nickel sulfide and nickel deposits, you know, out there. So that's really interesting. So there's a pipeline there. And then we have a stream on, on Boise's Bay, um, 
you know, that was where we kind of last year put up $300 million where we get 30% of 36%, I think 32%, 32.6% of finished cobalt. Uh, that mine starts, you know, January 1st, 2021. So that brings in a significant amount of free cash flow. Down in Australia, we've got a couple uh, royalties. And, you know, we recently announced a transaction with Highland Pacific on their nickel cobalt joint venture interest, which once again brings in uh, free cash flow into the company. So we have Australia, we have Canada, and then we have P&G. Okay, so so you you don't have uh, anything in the Congo or or in China or in any of those areas. Yeah, nothing in China, um, but you know, especially nothing in the Congo. You know, we have intentionally avoided the Congo. You know, with cobalt in particular, you have conflict conflict issues around artisanal mining, and you know, around ethical sourcing of cobalt. And so we've taken the view that. You know, if if some of the major mining companies, and you can read about all the disasters going on, uh, have been unable to navigate the Congo, that we don't think we can navigate it. So uh, we've completely avoided, and and actually represent our shareholders that we'll continue to avoid the Congo because we just don't think that um, makes sense for us to go there. Also, we think there's strategic value in owning the assets outside of the Congo. You know, we think that um, if you're a battery maker, when you come and you do business with us, you know definitively that you're not getting conflict cobalt because all the cobalt we deal in is is mined and processed and smelted outside of the Congo. Okay, and also I think uh, the Congo's you know their political stability is sometimes in question. Oh yeah, they had they've had elections you know last week and and they still haven't um, announced who the winner is. Although uh, I think you know charity run by the Catholic Church has said there's a definitive winner, and, and some people in the U.S. government has implied that the 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 person that won wasn't the chosen party. You know, so it's kind of descending into a mess. And I think that's just the point. You know, we don't want to have shareholders' dollars in a place like that because we can't control for those type of risks. Okay, so the uh, the um royalties you have now are the is is ca- cash flows coming in from uh, from these uh, royalty interests so voices day cash flow starts in 2021 um and highland pacific uh, you know randy nickel is actually what it's called you know that one comes in as soon as the deal closes and and it's settled so you know we anticipate free cash flow in 2019 so, so this year you're going to have uh, free cash flow coming into the company. Exactly. What about uh, what about the possibility of a uh, of a dividend? Yeah. So, look, I mean, we have we've told our shareholders that that um, we intend to pay a dividend. We also have something called a normal course issuer bid in Canada, which is the ability to buy back shares. And you know, I think what we guide to- people towards is that. Um, when that cash flow starts later in the year, we'll assess the market and, you know, you can either do a dividend, you can do a buyback, you could do a dividend buyback, or you could do neither. And I think everything will be in the context of the market, but uh, certainly we're created, or excuse me, we're committed to um, some version of a dividend slash buyback uh, when that cash flow comes in. Okay. Uh, what, um, can you, can you kind of give us a picture of, you know, what the, uh, what cobalt 27 will look like, you know, 
two, three years out once, um, you know, once you have these uh, royalties coming in? Like, what, what's your vision for the company? Yeah, I mean, you know, depending on the price of nickel and cobalt, you, you could be looking at um, tremendous free cash flow. Uh, you know, there's only really three, three or four employees at Cobalt 27, so the overhead is very low. And so this could really be a product on the EV adoption that has a very low cost structure and, you know, generates a, a dividend. I mean, that's how I would see it is that, you know, it has a potential for a tremendous dividend over, over and through the cycle and um, really could be part of a portfolio around the adoption of the electric vehicle. In fact, I would argue that it's maybe one of the purest uh, proxies for the adoption of the electric vehicle because really, you know, we don't know who's going to win. Is it Tesla? Is it Vita? Is it Ford? You know, no one knows yet. But what I know for sure is if there is a winner, then Cobalt is going to be a winner. And so, you know, being part of, of a portfolio for someone who's trying to capture that, I think is, it's important to have us in there. Is it possible to, I don't know if you can make a projection, but based, you know, based on, you know, current, uh, current prices, what kind of, what kind of uh, cash flow do you expect, uh, you know, uh, by, you know, 2021? Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't think I would make a forward-looking statement except to say that, you know, there's, we're covered by a bunch of analysts and, uh, and they've done the work. And I think, you know, um, I think that's pretty readily available. You know, in particular, in Canada, we're covered by BMO, uh, Canaccord, Cormark, 8 Capital, GMP, Haywood, National Bank, Mumis, Paradigm, and Scotia, and then finally TD. So covered by, you know, kind of 10 or 12 analysts. And um, they all have their numbers, and I think, you know, some of them are pretty accurate. It's a pretty easy model to, to run. Okay, okay. So I guess anybody interested, they could, they could you know, look at, look at those uh, reports. Um, yeah, and, and if you go to our, if you if you go to our website, um, all the analysts are listed with their email addresses, and you can reach out directly and, and get those reports for free. Okay, um, can, Anthony, can you tell us you know more about you know your background and also you know the other key members of the team? That you said that the whole company you only have basically four people in the company, so it's a very lo- low overhead operation. Yeah, so myself, yeah, I um, spent the majority of my career at funds investing in, in basic materials. Um, Previously, Paul Investments, and prior to that, Fiber Management in New York. And so, uh, my background is really, you know, uh, thinking about the world and allocating capital to ideas in, in the mining and material space. Justin Cochran, he was at Sandstorm prior to joining us, and prior to that, he was MBF as a banker. He spent his entire career, really since the advent of streaming, uh, working and transacting on streams and royalties. I think he's, I think he's transacted on over fifty. Uh, Martin Vidra is our head of strategy. He was at Sherrod for, for his entire career, actually, uh, working on, on nickel-cobalt projects globally, uh, really an expert in nickel and cobalt. And then we have someone uh, who's responsible for our corporate communications, Betty. So that, I think that's the entire team. What you see there and myself is, is someone who understands finance and capital markets, and Justin is the structuring and the details around the transactions. And then in Martin, you have really one of the top experts um, in, in nickel and, and cobalt mines. And then on top of that, I think something that we've done, which is pretty unique, is we've put together an advisory board, which is unpaid unless, um, you know, unless kind of called upon. But you, you have people like, uh, you know, Ted Miller, 
from Ford. He's a senior manager of energy storage and materials. You, know, you have Dr. Patil, who uh, was the head of LG Chem in North America, and Neil Warbinen, you know, a wine builder. So we also have a very deep advisory board with a few more guys on there who, who are really able to be resources for the company if we need to reach in there and, and, and get further help. Okay. Um, now, one thing is, uh, what's the difference between you know royalties and streaming? What, how is that defined? Yes. So it's, there's nuance, but a royalty typically is, uh, and and by the way, all these things are bespoke. Uh, there is a tax definition um, uh, that that varies from country to country, but just the most basic form is a royalty is you get one percent of the revenue from the mine. That's the royalty. So if a dollar is produced, you get 1%. If a hundred dollars is produced, you get another 1%. So it's, it's just a very simple, straightforward um, kind of financial contract. Streams are a bit different because typically a stream is, a, you know, it's almost like a prepayment, a version of a prepayment, although it's not a prepayment because a prepayment would sit on the balance sheet as debt for the issuer whereas the stream doesn't necessarily. So, uh, you know, you, you give this upfront payment and then you get delivery of material for some, you know, maybe for the life of mine, maybe for 20 years, and then you have an ongoing payment. Um, and, and what that does is it gives you potentially access to the physical and certain contracts and then other contracts are financially settled. So um, either way, you're really getting a financial contract, which gives you direct exposure to the underlying metal. So, you know, what you know is if you have a 1% exposure to all cobalt revenue, I mean, it's very transparent and straightforward. You, if cobalt price goes up, uh, you make more money. If it goes down, you make less money. Uh, and, and similar with the streams. Okay. Uh, what, what, are you, what are the key milestones that you have coming up over the next 12 months that uh, investors uh, should keep an eye on? Yeah, you know, I think I think the key milestone is really closing our uh, our Highland Pacific transaction because that brings cash flow into the company and then allows us to to focus on dividend and and some of that sort of stuff. So I would say that's the key milestone, uh, and that's you know probably I would say you know Q two of this year. Okay, uh, let's uh, Anthony. Let's uh, sum up. Uh, you know, in your opinion, you know, you know, what are the key value drivers uh, investors uh, should take into account when, when, you know, looking at Cobalt 27? I guess, in other words, you know, what would you say are the top, top three reasons to buy the stock today? Look, the, the stock is trading at a massive discount to net asset value. So it was tremendously sold off last year. A few of the funds were liquidating. There was tax loss selling. So just... Just if nothing changes in the world, we're trading at a material discount to the sum of the parts. Uh, and we don't have reports that can demonstrate that. But notwithstanding that point, I've seen the key reason to own this over the next year, two, three years, is we are a proxy for the adoption of the electric vehicle in a way I don't believe you can find anywhere else. I think there are other there are other proxies, but then there's a second layer of risk there, you know. People buy a Tesla versus a Volkswagen vehicle. I don't know. So I think really uh, this proxy feature, this ability to really be right 
by owning us if people buy electric vehicles is critical. And I think that's really the most important point. If you if you believe in the EV adoption story, I think you own us, uh, even if it's part of a basket of companies, because you will be right on the basic materials in the coming years as uh, adoption accelerates. Okay. On, on that note, uh, Anthony, I want to thank you, and uh, we look forward to following the story uh, in the months ahead. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate coming on your show.